Hello and welcome to episode 210 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. Negative. How's it going? Good. Negative. Uh, nope. Oh, I, I am in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Um, Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Okay. So Lake Tahoe has a California side and a Nevada side, I take it. Lake Tahoe is gigantic. And mm-hmm. it uh, yes, it is on the border between California and Nevada. And I'm in South Lake Tahoe, which straddles the border. But my buddy lives up on, uh, on he lives on Kingsbury Grade on the Nevada side. So I'm up in the mountains for the week. Cool. What and it, why? Why? Just for the hell of it. Just because I can. I'm in between classes. Um, I taught in LA last weekend. I teach in San Francisco this weekend, and uh, he lives here. So I just came for a visit. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. What's on the uh, show today? So we got <clears throat> questions about flaw questions and conditional rules. We have a writing sample fiasco from Mike. Another one? Awesome. Yeah, interesting. Uh, We have benefits of going to law school in Wisconsin? Question mark. Scholarship better be involved in that. Yeah. Uh, LSAC access waiver rights. Uh, That's just a quick PSA about personal statements and that box. People are asking me these days about that box that they should check yes or no to waive their rights to see their personal statement. Oh, sorry, the oh. letters of recommendation? Sorry, my bad. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> rights. Sorry, when they talk about rights, it just sounds so intense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, so then uh, we have, are online bachelor's degrees bad? Parentheses, military. Okay. Uh, how formal are personal statements? Hmm, okay. Interesting. And then if we have time, we'll do an LR question from Prep Test 71. This awesome. will come out on the 16th of September, the... September LSAT is just around the corner. And a month, or no, a little less than a month after that, we're going to be doing a live class in New York City. It's on the weekend, so that will be Saturday, October 12th, and Sunday, October 13th, from 10 to 5 on each day. Uh, We'll be gathering with anyone who comes up to New York City uh, the night before, Friday, October 11th. It's $395 for that live class, but... If you're a Demon Premium subscriber, you'll get $300 off or nope. calling it a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a $300 scholarship. Ben. Oh, that's good. I like it. Yeah. We're, we're following in the shoes or in the footsteps <laughs> of law schools. Yeah. We'll call it a scholarship. So yeah. um, that's how you qualify for the scholarship here. Uh, or if you're a regular Demon subscriber, you'll get a $200 scholarship. Uh, yeah. You can sign up at thinkinglsat.com forward slash class or classes. I can't remember. But if you go to the website and click on classes, you will see it. It is front and center on that page. Um, Do you want to add anything about that? No, just that I can't wait. Um, I guess we need to talk about the agenda for that. Are we going to have a new LSAT released by then? Probably not, huh? For some reason in my mind, I thought that we did. Hold on. I have the release. Prep test 87. Will it be out by then? Well, we have so, 87. We should do that. Oh, we do. It's 88 that is September. And that will, the, okay, this, oh, the score release, which is on October, let's see, 
No, October 14th. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to have Prep Test 88. Uh, it doesn't matter. Probably though. not, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll find lots of fun else. stuff to work on, yeah. Yeah. Now that we've got the demon, I mean, we'll be running the class in the demon. So everyone um, is going to need a laptop or a tablet or whatever to, to do the class. But we will uh, be able to pick out just basically any questions, any sections that we want to do in class. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. Maybe we can pick some of the ones that have been garnering a lot of attention in the ask button or something. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm seeing all of like the various banes of my LSAT teaching existence. Yeah. They're all coming back up through the through the ask button. Like you know that one with the bees and vision and flowers? Yeah. <laughs> that like every LSAT teacher is like afraid of that question basically. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it just came back up the other night. So I'm seeing all of those questions these days. Uh, but that's good. Oh yeah, that's good. Well, it's good because it means that I like reconsider whatever explanations we've already done, and you know now with like more than a decade of experience under my belt, I can kind of I can do a lot better job just sort of making it clear to people like, well, here's what they were thinking, here's why this answer is justified, and here's why these four answers aren't. So it's funny because it's like a question that I tried, you know, like struggled with fifteen times during my LSAT career, which essentially was my LSAT training. And now when I see those questions, it's like, well, okay, I remember I have PTSD from this question, but here's, you know, here's what they had to be thinking. Cause here's how it really does make sense. Oh, totally. It's funny you mentioned that question. Cause that is one too, where I had PTSD. It's like, gee, <laughs> this answer does strengthen the conclusion in a, in a minute way. And here's how it helps. But it's, it's also interesting now to see, I, I think if I'm remembering that question correctly, but if I, if I look at these questions and I, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember struggling with this 10 years ago in class because it came up or whatever. And it's like, you, you talk through it now and you're like, yeah, it's got to be D for this reason or whatever. Well, now, now it's like, I can't pick those four wrong answers. Yeah, like I just, (laughs) I just know for sure that they never like that can't possibly be the answer, and neither can that, and neither can that, and neither can that. Like for sure, those can't be right. And then you look at the right answer, and you go, "Oh, well, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a very good strengthener, but you know, it can't be these other four. And let me let me think about. I'm going to make a case now for this one. Mm -hmm. And okay, it's circumstantial evidence, but this does add to a case that mm-hmm. pro- that c- would tend toward this conclusion that they're trying to prove. And none of these other four possibly do anything. So is this the world's greatest strengthener? No, but it's still clearly the answer because 100%. it's just the other ones can't be the answer. So this one has to be. And it's always about who's the best, not who's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now <laughs> let's not get all Gladwell with it, right? Like 99% of the time, the right answer is like clearly answering the question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the hardest questions do tend to be sometimes strengthen questions because like a real hard strengthen question I think is harder than many other questions because it's like, well, this doesn't prove the conclusion. It doesn't even come close to proving the conclusion. Yeah. But it's the one thing it's like the one scrap of evidence that we could add to our brief to try to build some sort of a case. And so, yeah, in that case, it's the best one. But I mean, really, would you agree, right? 95% of the time, there's one clearly correct answer that just does answer the question and four that don't. For sure. Oh, yeah, totally. 
So when you say, let's not get Gladwellian here, I find it humorous, but what were you thinking of when he said In his bullshit podcast, which I don't recommend anybody listen to, he was talking about how, well, it's not about the, it's not about picking the right answer. It's not that the right answer is right. It's just that it's best. And that was the advice that he was giving to like everyone about the LSAT. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry, but that's not right. That's totally wrong. <laughs> like, yes, once in a while, that's the case. But 95% of the time, the right answer just clearly answers the question. As a matter of fact, like over half the time, you can predict the answer before you even look at the answer choices. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not about picking the best answer. It's about picking the right answer almost always. Mm. And on the very, very hardest questions, then it might be about like eliminating the the wrong ones and picking the one that's like, well, at least this helps somewhat. Mm-hmm. But that's the exception, not the rule. The rule is the right answer makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, okay. That's what I do. I do find myself saying a lot, okay, but you're picking the best answer here. And I guess by that, I still think it's 100% correct. But I guess what I'm trying to counter is students who are so concerned about how the answer isn't perfect. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. One answer does have to be right. And so there is some somewhat of a process of elimination going on. It can't be those four. It must be this one. I can make a a case for this one for being correct, but I'm worried that this word or that word, you know, like I might be able to try to weasel my way around it if I was trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where like people let the perfect be the enemy of the good and they don't pick a right answer. But then like, then they go and pick an answer that's clearly wrong. Yeah. Right. They're just like, well, that one I was a little queasy about. So I picked this answer over here that I completely just don't even understand. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's definitely not the right thought process. So I think we're saying the same thing, Ben. I just don't want people to, (laughs) the last thing I want people to believe is that the test doesn't make sense. Like the test does make sense. It totally makes sense. And there are so many questions where the right answer is just like obvious, predictable and obvious. As, as we were talking about this, I was thinking why I might be saying that or feel like I'm saying, hey, make sure you're picking the best answer so often. And that's probably because there's a bias in class, right? The questions that we're struggling with and talking about are the sorts of questions where people are more likely, they're more likely to be challenging and people are struggling with that correct answer. And it's like, uh, yeah, but here you're like, so concerned about what's not great or perfect about this correct answer, but you're not thinking about what's so wrong about this other answer that you chose. And you need to realize that you need to compare <laughs> answers before you pick one. You know, yeah. you don't like it. Um, and that's, and those our discussions are generally around the ones that are harder. Anyways. Partially that's because the, the higher scoring students are more likely to ask questions in class. Right. So the, at least that's how it is in my classes. Um, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. people who are doing really well are always the ones who are telling me, hey, well, you know, what about this? Well, I don't understand that. This one, I got it right, but I there's something about B that I, I know it's got to be the right answer, but I, there's this thing, the quibble that I have with it that I don't like. And, and then it's like, yeah, <laughs> then you do say, well, okay, I'm glad you can make that counter argument against B, 
But I'm also even more glad that you didn't pick A or C or D or E because those are clearly bullshit. And, you know, even if B is not perfect, it definitely is best. Mm-hmm. I guess we're saying, I think we're saying the same thing a lot, mm-hmm. Ben. Yeah. But what I want people to understand is that, and this is not what came through in Gladwell's podcast, which you probably haven't listened to yet, which I don't blame you because <laughs> it's garbage. But the, it's, it's trash. But the, I, I want to get across that, okay, fine. Maybe it's not like purely correct, but it is like clearly best. So I don't want people to just be thinking, oh, well, it's like slightly better than this other one. It's not slightly better. It's clearly better. Like it's the only credible answer. Yeah. When you flesh it all out, right? Yes. Sometimes two people get hung up on assumptions and are like, this answer requires you to make this assumption. I thought we're not allowed to make assumptions on the LSAT and that's why I picked D. And it's like, hold up. You're 100% correct. You had to make an assumption for this correct answer to work. But what assumption did you make for D? And then when they say it out loud, you're like, hmm? Which assumption is worse? <laughs> right. <laughs> and no one, no one ever has been like, whoa, well, 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 I think my assumption is less or more reasonable. No. Like it's, once you make it explicit, it's plainly obvious why that one was chosen by thousands of other students over the right. answer that you chose. Yeah, I, 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 I like invite people to, you know, I really want to be like debating about these answers. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll be like, okay, counselor. So you, you chose D. Mm-hmm. Can I hear your case for D? <laughs> and then yeah. they start talking their way through it. And it's like, I can just imagine the judge and everyone in the courtroom just kind of rolling their eyes, you know, like, like really counselor, you want me to make that assumption? Mm-hmm. Yep. You didn't like this one over here because of this little minor quibble. But now you, in order to pick this answer, you want to, th- you're saying what? We need to. <laughs> it doesn't accept make it. any sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So, anyways, just a quick reminder: sign up for the uh, live class in New York. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fucking awesome. Bottom line, much, much more of Ben and I rambling, <laughs> debating like that. No, the, those classes are really good. It's they are it's fun, super fun. It's uh, all day. It's instruction all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And uh, it's a hell of a deal for Demon subscribers. So please uh, join us in New York. We'll have a good time. Yeah. You can email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. When you do so, send us your selfies if you're so inclined. Uh, we will use them in the show notes if, if you'll let us. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. And send us a voicemail, voice message in, are we still encouraging people to do it in Anchor? The app? I don't know. It seems like kind of a pain in the ass because you have to download the Anchor app. So I, I would say just use your like voice recorder and just An email. email it to help yeah. at thinkinglset.com. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I don't have any updates on the demon. Uh, we're just continuing to troubleshoot issues that people encounter every now and then. We're trying to eradicate those. Cool. Um, Anyways, let's see here. Oh, a call for testimonials. Do you want to talk about? Yeah, that? I. So my original, um, my original vision for this was actually not testimonials. It was actually just 
I want demon users to help other demon users mm, yeah, use the demon like better. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. so what I really want is just a quick 15 to 30 seconds, uh, a short video. Um, it could even be a short audio, but video I think would be really neat for other mm-hmm. users to see. Yeah. What we want to see is how you use the demon. So you could record your screen, you could shoot yourself using the demon. Um, you know, this is obviously a thing for super fans who, who really want to help us out and help out like the demon community. But like, what's your favorite feature of the demon? Like what, what, how do you use it? Where do you, you use it? Oh God, mm-hmm. I can't talk today. 15 seconds is better than 30 seconds. Please don't go on and on and on. But like, what's your favorite feature? How do you do it? Because the demon has tons of features, and what we're learning is that demon subscribers don't even know all of the features that the demon has. So we'd yeah. like to put out a like just short series of these videos um, so that other other subscribers can make the most of it. That that's it. Well, so I would say shorter is better, but um, sometimes it may take a second or two to figure out what you like and. Uh, describe it and we can cut these videos too. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll edit it. We'll clean it up for you. Um, so just email that um, to Matt uh, at foxlsat.com. Matt's my TA uh, in Los Angeles and is helping us out with like all manner of demon stuff these days. Um, so email that to Matt at foxlsat.com and just whatever you want, just send him a video. He asked for MP4. I think maybe that's because it's easiest to edit MP4. Um, so anyway, send a video to Matt about how you use the demon and you might see your face popping up on the demon or our social media. Also, we'll use that to better understand how people are using it because uh, we don't necessarily know (laughs) which features people will like until we roll them out. And then when we do roll them out, we realize, holy cow, people are using this in a way we weren't intending, but I'm glad that they're using it and liking it and benefiting from it. So I'm very curious to see what people say. Totally. Alrighty. Um, so we have three questions from Lydia, flaw question and conditional rules. Question number one. Oh, so wait, Annalisa writes, give a shout out to Lydia from me. We've been emailing back and forth a lot about the demon. There you go, Annalisa. Uh, question number one, can you guys please do a talk on match the flaw questions? I am constantly getting these wrong. What is the best way to approach this question type? Thanks. BNN. Can I take this one? Go for it. Okay. First thing is we're not reading the question stem first. So you don't know that this is a matching flaw question while you're reading the argument. Can we agree? <laughs> Although you, you might know because <laughs> they're so long. You probably have a sense. You might, well, you, you might be able to glance at it and tell yeah. like just by the length of the answer choices, you might be able to tell that this is going to be either a matching pattern or a matching flaw question. But you wouldn't know what the LSAT's telling you about whether nope. it's regular or flaw. Yep. And you don't, I don't want you to know because mm-hmm. even if it was just a matching pattern question, the argument could still be flawed anyway. And you need to spot that flaw if it is there. So, Please don't like resist the urge to to read the question stem. That's not helping you. It's actually hurting you. Yeah. Um, read all of the arguments on the entire LSAT the same way. It's simple. You just go into attack mode. I want you to be a lawyer. I want you to be an asshole as you read these these passages. They're gonna do something wrong. And you have to be the one person in the room who catches what they did wrong. That's your job is to say, wait a second, this all sounds like you might be making sense, but you're not making sense. And I'm going to tell you why you're not making sense. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
If you can do that, you've already won. So I think what happens with most students on matching pattern and matching flaws, they get so intimidated by the length of the answer choices that they think they have to go fast. They rush through the argument. They just don't catch the flaw in the first place. They read the question stem and it says, which one of the following exhibits flawed reasoning most similar to that in the argument above. And then they just don't even think about it. Flawed, re flawed reasoning, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There was something wrong with that, <laughs> but they don't, they're, they're not clear about what, what was wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And then they just start reading a and reading B and they all look good or none of them look good. Mm -hmm. And it's because they just didn't sort out the flaw in the first place. I, I that's, I would say 99% of the problems that you're having with matching flaw, it just has to be because of that. If you spot the flaw and you're clear, like if you can make a clear objection to the reasoning, like if you can imagine yourself interrupting them and saying, wait a minute, what about this? You're assuming this, or that doesn't mean the same thing, or you confuse sufficient for necessary, or you confused correlation for causation. If you can make any of those objections, then it's a piece of cake. Cause now you just go through the five answer choices looking to be able to make that same objection. So I consider like when I think about matching flaw, I'm really thinking about matching objection. If I can make the same objection to D as I was able to make to the argument in the first place, that's almost guaranteed to be the answer. That's interesting. One thing I've noticed about matching flaw versus um, matching reasoning or parallel flaw versus parallel reasoning is that in parallel flaw questions, I often feel like the, the structure of the argument is even less parallel than it would be in a parallel flaw question or a parallel reasoning question. Right, so you're going through the answer choices in a parallel flaw question, and the correct answer, the answer you end up choosing, has the same flaw. But there are a lot of other things that are different about that argument that would normally sure. throw people off. Like it may have only one premise and one sure. conclusion, whereas the original has like three premises and one conclusion. And yeah. people are like, "How can this be parallel?" And it's like, "Yeah, but it has the same flaw." Yeah, and it's but it's it and it's like very frequently it's so much easier than students make it out to be because listen, the given argument confused sufficient and necessary. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm <laughs> That's like the granddaddy of all flaws on the LSAT is confusing sufficient for necessary. When they do that, that's the answer. Yeah. And then when you go down into the answer choices, the, the structure of the argument can be wildly different, but the one right answer will confuse at some point in their argument, they will confuse sufficient for necessary in the same way. Yeah. And because they told you to match the flaw, I mean, they didn't tell you to match like the entire argument. Mm -hmm. They told you to match the flaw. If the flaw was confusing sufficient for necessary, then the answer is confusing sufficient for necessary. It's like simple. It's like really easy, but that's why people have to get in. They have to get that flaw first. If you don't catch the flaw, you have no chance. So let's say you're reading the argument and you conclude that the argument's not bad, that it's not flawed, that it seems to make sense. And then you read the question stem and it says matching flaw. 
Well, if it says matching flaw, yeah, what would you do at that point? Better reread the argument. Because mm-hmm. like you, you got no clue. Like if you're just like, well, yeah, I don't know. It just, just kind of seems like bullshit. Okay, well, let's get a little more specific about that. <laughs> you're not going to stand up in court and just say, this is bullshit, your honor. I mean, you're going to have to have something to back that up. So what did they do wrong? Why don't you buy it? Yeah. What's the evidence? What's the conclusion? Tell me why the evidence does not justify this conclusion. That's the game. I mean, that's the game on 75, 80, 90% of all of the LSAT logical reasoning questions. Yeah. And a hundred percent of the matching flaw questions. So you got to be able to tell me what that flaw is. You should have caught it the first time. You know, you, you really should be reading critically enough to catch the flaw the first time. Because if you didn't, like this could be a matching pattern question where they don't tell you there's a flaw, but mm-hmm. there totally could be a flaw. Mm-hmm. And if there was a flaw, then the correct answer is going to be similarly flawed. So <clears throat> you've got to learn to catch that flaw, even when they don't tell you there's a flaw. And boy, when people start doing this, then their life is going to be immensely easier, not just on matching flaw questions, but on all logical reasoning questions. Yeah. Anything else about that question? Well, yeah. So I want to talk about this a little bit more. So uh, I think that there are, I just came up with this by the way, but yeah, I think there are three stages of flaw awareness maturity. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Wow. Three stages of flaw awareness. So I think the first one is you read an argument and you're like, okay, that makes sense to me. And then let's say it's a matching flaw question. So it says, you know, which one of the following is most you know, parallel in the flawed as the flawed reasoning above, blah, 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 whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, it's flawed. So then you you go back and you you look at the argument and you say, oh yeah, okay, yeah, these premises really don't add up to this conclusion. They don't support the conclusion. So now you've gone up a stage, right? The first stage was there was a flaw, but you were completely unaware of it. You thought the argument was okay. Then you have this next stage, you're like, yeah, I think this, I don't think these premises prove this conclusion. And I get this stage, I think, the most often. People are like, yeah, this sucks. And it, and they even maybe know the premise. They're like, this premise is just not enough to prove this conclusion. And it's like, okay, but, but why is that not enough? And that's where they kind of stop. Is there like, uh, it just doesn't seem like it's good enough. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so what would your objection be? If you were talking to this person, what would you say back to them? You'd say, yeah, but what? Right now you're just saying, yeah, I don't like what you're saying. But I want you to say, yeah, but how do we know all those animals are going to eat the food? Or how do we know that if something's in your self-interest, you're going to do it. Like you you need to have an explicit objection, right? And so stage 3 is where you can actually sit there and start countering back to the author what you think is wrong with their reasoning. Um and maybe even now that I'm talking about it, stage 4 would be would be able to describe that in abstract terms. But stage three is just you're starting to rebut it, right? You're saying, well, hey, what about this problem or that problem? Um, and then stage four is actually describing, like saying, oh, you're In the abstract this. terms, yeah. to have a name for it, a label for that flaw. Yeah, yeah. you're going from mm-hmm. part to whole or whatever, right? That's that's like a higher level. Wait, but, so I got stage three and stage four. What's stage one and two again? Okay, so stage one is there's a flaw, but you just don't see it at all. 
you know, the shoulder. Wait, so stage right? one is nothing. Stage one like, is yeah, eh. you're clueless, right? You're like, yeah, okay. that sounds good to me. Or you know, that's, when people that's stage say zero. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stage zero. Well, sometimes people are like, well, don't I have to accept the conclusion is true? And then that's just what? you know, no one's ever said that to you. Uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. So sometimes I get people who are like, but don't I? Don't I have to accept what they're telling me or something like that? Right. I they, think my first logical reasoning re- lesson, I mean, before I even let the class do a logical reasoning question, the very first thing I say is like, listen, you have to, ex- you have to expect these to be bullshit. The game is they're going to give you evidence and they're going to give you a conclusion. And the conclusion is presumed to be bullshit unless the premises actually prove their conclusion. Yeah, no, I, I, I try to, Tell people that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. LR question or lesson, I think. I, you know, maybe yeah. I need to do a better job. But there, there's definitely been times where people have said to me, like, oh, I thought I just had to like accept what they're telling me. And it's just yep. kind of this vague notion of like everything that is said is kind of like <laughs> true. Right, like, right. No, no. There are some things you do have to accept, premises, um, et cetera, but not the conclusion or intermediate conclusions. But in any case, um, so stage one is there's a flaw, but you don't think there's a flaw. Stage two is you recognize that there's a problem, but you can't rebut it in any way, right? It's like when you ask the class, hey, what do you guys think of this argument? And they're all like, it's bad. And it's like, okay, why is yeah. it bad? And then it's just complete silence, right? What would you say to this person if you were in a meeting with them and they made this argument to you? And and then when you start getting shoulder shrugs and everybody's like, well, it sucks. It's like, do you really... Do you, I, you, you're seeing that the premises don't add up. You're seeing that they don't prove the conclusion, but you you can't articulate why. Stage three is, okay, now you can start rebutting. You can say, yeah, but what if Mike lost his pencil before he got to the metro or something, right? You start right, coming there we up go. with concrete like, rebuttals. And, and, and that's enough right there. Almost that's always enough. that's yeah, enough. Yeah. If you can, if you can just say, three. hey, what about this? Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stage four is like when you're an LSAT teacher. That's right. And what happens a lot, I think, in flaw questions, because flaw questions essentially are like testing you in stage four. They're saying, okay, we're going to s- describe the flaw, right, in abstract terms. Yeah. Uh, but what you're doing is if you can get yourself to stage three, then when you read the answer choice, you're like, yes, this is describing what I was trying to say concretely. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So anyways, um, let's say that you read an argument and it doesn't seem flawed. And it turns out that it's, let's assume for the sake of argument, that it's not flawed, that it is a a good argument. And it's a parallel reasoning question. What do you do to prepare for the answer choices there? Wait, so parallel reasoning, but it's not flawed? I know that the argument's good? Yes. Well, if I know that the argument is good... Mm -hmm. I mean, like that, that clicks for me because I'm expecting the argument to be bullshit. Mm -hmm. Totally. So when I get done with the argument, if they've actually proven their conclusion, Mm -hmm. I know that they've proven their conclusion. Like if I can't object, that means it's a good argument. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So if I, and it's not just like, I mean, very frequently I'm like, I get done to the end of, I down to the end of it and I'm like, well, there's a lot of gaps here. Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, like it stands to reason 
but you know, there's a hole here and a hole here and yeah. a hole here and a hole here. Like it's not outright flawed, but there's like just a bunch of missing pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think you're talking about like, what if they've actually proven their conclusion? Yeah. Let's say well, I'm actually talking about two situations, one where they've actually proven it, which I think is easier. And then the other one where it's, it's very close. I might have a quibble, like you're saying okay. with one premise or an assumption. I'm like, well, it's assuming that, you know, um, killing people is bad or something like that. And it's like, they never said that, but uh, I'll go ahead and grant them for the sake of this this test because that seems like not crazy. Um, sure. But maybe, you know, I would expect the, the correct answer to maybe make that same assumption as well. But in that case, what uh, are you doing to prepare for the answer choices? In the case where it's not, not fully proven? Uh, almost 100% proven, but not entirely. So it's not as much okay. of a, like an obvious flaw. It's 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 a reasonable or perfect argument. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that I do a lot is I predict the type of answer that might be correct. Mm. Like, I'll just try to make a quick parallel argument in my head. Mm. So yeah, if the yeah. argument, I mean, this is an example of a proven argument, but like, Kingsbury grade is in South Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Um, South Lake Tahoe, Nevada is in the United States. Nathan is on Kingsbury grade. Uh, therefore Nathan is on, is in the United States. Sure. Perfect. Right. And I read that and I go, Oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. Except, you know what? It's actually not perfect because uh, you know, my quibble would be, well, are there other Kingsbury grades in the world? Mm -hmm. Like you said, Nathan's in Kingsbury grade. Maybe Nathan's not in Kingsbury grade South Lake Tahoe. Maybe he's in Kingsbury grade fucking Mexico. I don't know. Or maybe you have to be in the ground as opposed to on top of the state. (laughs) Like, but so, so that's where it's like, Oh, that sounds pretty good as long as Nathan's at the right Kingsbury grade. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if that was the argument, I would go down into the answer choices looking for, okay, well, something that feels basically correct as long as we assume that, you know, Kingsbury grade is this exact, this actual Kingsbury grade, not some other one. Yeah. Something like that. And it's just, it's loose, you know, it's not like it's perfectly formulated. It's just like, I would know, okay, that was a basically good argument. It used conditional reasoning. I think it's sound. My one objection might be, is this the right Kingsbury grade? Mm -hmm. And then I read the answer choices looking for basically that something that's, you know, uses conditional reasoning, looks like it's basically proven. Maybe you could object with one like, well, Hey, let's just check to make sure that this is the right road. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that what you were looking for? Oh, no, I was just curious. Oh, okay. One thing that I find myself doing in some of these is, and it happens as I'm evaluating the argument, but I think it's a step that I like to tell people about because they may not be making an effort to do it, but I will read the argument and I'll decide whether I think it's valid or invalid. And then if it's a parallel reasoning or parallel flaw question, I will take a half second and think about the underlying structure. So, and I don't, so I make it abstract, but not as abstract as some people do. So for example, one way of making an argument abstract is replacing all the, you know, variables in the argument with letters, right? Oh, make it algebra, right? Yeah. If A, then B, and if B, then C, therefore, if A, then C, you can do that. But I find that kind of hard to follow intuitively. So what I find myself doing is saying things like, oh, okay, like stepping back from this argument, this guy is basically saying, if you do this one thing, 
this yeah, totally. other thing is going to happen, yep. but that other thing can't happen, so the first thing can't happen. And I'm like, that's valid reasoning, and so I'm going to go into the arguments or the answer choices looking for something that sort of matches that abstraction, and I'm often using thing one, thing two, yeah. and keeping it or natural language. Yeah. How about group? Like, if you're in this one yep, group, totally. then you have to mm-hmm. be in this other group. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the other group, then you have to have this characteristic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. John's in the first group, therefore John must have this characteristic. Yep. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because if he's in the first group, he has to be in the second group, and then he has to have the characteristic. Yeah. Right. So you just sort of, you're right, you just, you're like abstracting it away from the topic, right? So now you're not talking about like biology class Mm -hmm. as the first group, Mm -hmm. you know, now you're talking about just a group broadly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's all. Okay, great. So that was, uh, let's see. So that was number one on (laughs) Lydia's questions. I actually think that that discussion could probably be a pretty good, um, fundamental too. So I don't know if we have one on matching, um, flaw matching pattern, but wouldn't hurt to add it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Number two, this says re episode regarding episode 178. Yes, Ben, exactly like the office exclamation point. Okay. I don't know. Um, let's see what we were talking about then. Can we please start some kind of financial contribution thing? And if the goal is met, you get the tattoo. Whoa. Um, do you have a tattoo, Nathan? I do not. <laughs> What do you think about getting one? Well, I always joke in class about getting like an LSAT tattoo. Mm-hmm. Certain certain phrases that I say all the time, I talk about how like I want to get this tattooed on my body in case I ever forget like a memento. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I don't remember what we were talking about with the office and contribution. Well, thing there was an office episode where, um, was it the, the guy who was the boss in later seasons, he got like... He was trying to get them to meet some goal, and they met the goal, and then he went and got a tattoo. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Well, this is intriguing because I'm kind of on the offense with a tattoo, but I'm. (laughs) it's not like a definite yes. So I wonder what the amount would have to be. Well, if you're going to get one, you got to get a good one. Yeah. It's a, uh, so that's a provisional yes from Ben Olson. Um, <laughs> we have to figure out which, ta- which tattoo to get him. And, and then, uh, yeah, we can definitely do a little bit of a, uh, you know, GoFundMe for Ben's, <laughs> for Ben's tattoo. <laughs> that's right. Pain and recovery. All right. Number three. I have a question about LG rules, logic game rules, like the one I wrote, be- like the one I wrote below. Okay. Um, if A, so this is the, the rule that Lydia wrote. If A's presentation is earlier than B's presentation, then B's presentation is earlier than C's presentation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's conditional combined with ordering. Yep. I thought for something like this, I would just write A dash B dash C with a switch over A and C. Nope. Uh, no. If you do that, you're confusing sufficient and necessary. Yep. You're thinking, oh, if A is not before B, then B is not before C, and that is a false contrapositive or whatever you want to call it. You're negating your sufficient condition and negating your necessary condition without swapping them. Um, however, I realize that the other possibilities exist. 
BAC, BCA. So my question is, are there rules where only the first option with the switch exists, or do all the rules always have the switch option and then the others? <laughs> okay, wait. There's what? too much confusion here. So what I would Let's say... Let's stop right there. Yeah. yeah. Just... This is actually, okay, so there's two options here. One, let's just talk about the, the original rule itself. Um, I, I have a, a better option here, and I'm 100% sure you're going to suggest this, uh, but yep. I want to talk about the rule itself first, just so we get clear on that. If yep. you were to draw this rule without creating worlds, I would say if... If you were an LSAT teacher, <laughs> this is how you would yeah. do it. But you're not an LSAT teacher, so you shouldn't do it this way. But anyway, go ahead, Ben. You could do... I would I would write on the board A dash B. That would show that A comes before B, and then I would have an arrow going to B before C. So what that says is, or even A before B before you C. You could do that, yeah. And I'm I'm cool with that. I just want people to understand the rule. Like, what you know? Can you visualize this? It's like if this A is before B, if A is before B, then B is going to be before C. The thing about if then statements is that if the if clause happens, then of course the then clause happens. But if the if clause doesn't happen, if that's never going to happen, then you don't have to worry about the if-then statement. And that's what you're kind of doing here. You're like worried about the if-then statement in a situation where the if clause isn't triggered. So the rule only matters when the if clause is triggered. Um, and so that's why we then say, hey, look, instead of drawing out if A is before B, then B is before C, you can just jump right into creating worlds here and say, well, let me create a world where A is before B, and that triggers the rule. And then let me create a world where B is before A. I know the rule will never get triggered, so it's as good as dead. It can just not exist in that world. And those are your two scenarios. And that's it. Yeah. Then that's the first thing that I would always do these days when I see if a game, especially if a game has just one conditional rule. Yep. It's almost just too obvious to just start with that. So you start with the trigger. Um, we can also call that the sufficient condition. Or the if trigger, clause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The if clause, the trigger on the rule, which here is if A is before B. And you start with that trigger and you just say, okay, so the trigger is going to get pulled in one world and the trigger is not pulled in the other world. And you just start with that. So like at the very top of the page, you write A before B on one side of a line and on the other side of the line, you write B before A. And so now you have two worlds, a world where A is before B and a world where B is before A. In the world where A is before B, then the rule gets triggered. And so now you have A before B before C mm -hmm. in that world. Mm -hmm. In the other world where B is before A, then the trigger on the rule doesn't get pulled. And if the if so, if the if clause is not met, if the trigger is not pulled, then that rule doesn't matter at all. And so now all you have is just two worlds. You've got a A before B before C world, and you've got a B before A world, and you're done. And you don't have to think about that conditional ever again. It's just gone. It just drops out of existence. Yep. Because in the first world, it's been applied. <laughs> And in the second world, it's never going to apply. Correct. Yeah. And it, it just, it ends up being a much um, more intuitive, I think, way because, I mean, I, I was just the other day walking around my classroom. There was a conditional rule in a game and I'm walking, I'm looking over everybody's shoulder and I see everybody's got a conditional rule. <laughs> They've written down the conditional arrow, you know, and then most of them did the contrapositive, mm -hmm. but then half of them fuck up the contrapositive. Mm -hmm. And then 
another half, you know, another like three quarters of the class in total is going to fuck it up because they don't know how to really handle it. Like they, they've got sort of these like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to write down the conditional rule and I'm supposed to write the contrapositive, but then they don't know how to interpret it. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know what it means. It's just, it's like, well, this is an LSAT dogma thing that I learned I was supposed to do in a book or class or whatever. And I'm walking around going like, guys, I would never even do that anymore. It, It like, yeah, that's how I learned too, 12 years ago. But now I feel like I know better that just, well, here's an easier way to deal with it. You know, just, just bake it in, just, just make two worlds and bake that rule in so that you never have to process it again. Yeah. By the way, I ended up writing less on my page than you did. A lot less. <laughs> You've got the rule and the contrapositive of the rule. Okay. Now what are you going to do? Now are you going to make worlds? Yep. All right. Well, why didn't you just start with the worlds? Because it, it, you could just deal with it so much easier. Yeah. This is interesting. She goes on to say, when I watch the seven sage videos, I never see him draw the others the other options. So in studying, I never realized the other option until now. That's so strange. Like she must be confused. I don't know. Yeah. He did, but anyways, I don't think he's fucking it up. She just doesn't understand. Yeah. He's yeah. Mm. Well, good luck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lydia. It's really hard to discuss like logic games questions like that on, you know, just via voice like this. It's really hard to talk about it. So we appreciate it, Lydia. I think she, I think she probably got something out of that. Just make worlds right away. But like what you have to do when you have a conditional, I'll make this, try to make it clear what I'm doing again. We don't care about the then clause. All we care about is the if clause. We make a world where the if clause is true and a world where the if clause is false. Then we think about the then clause and the then clause is going to only apply in the world where the if clause was true. Now, just to and clarify. So then you just apply it and then you're done. Yeah. When you say the, if, the then clause only applies in the world where the if clause is true, what you're saying is we know that in the world where the if clause is true the then clause is going to happen. So we make it happen there. And in the other world, it might happen, but we don't care. We don't, we're not saying it is going to happen. We're not saying it's not going to happen. And that's where people get mixed up as they start thinking about it. Right. They're like, oh, well, so then can B be, can B be earlier than (laughs) C or, or now we're in this other world. So maybe C has to be before B. It's like, nope. There's just no rule. The rule is gone. Yeah. That's the crazy thing about having people, you know, and we've done it for our whole careers, like teach people about like, okay, here, here's how we're going to write a conditional rule. Here's how we're going to write the contrapositive of the rule. Yeah. The irony is that when they write the rule and the contrapositive, then as soon as they start making worlds, they think that (laughs) they confuse sufficient for necessary because they wrote down the rule and the contrapositive. Mm -hmm. They never would have made that mistake in the first place if they wouldn't have learned all this stuff about the contrapositive. Yeah. So it's like, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to not even think about the contrapositive. Yeah. Just make a world where the if is true and a world where the if is false in the world where the if is true, the then is also true. And in the world where the if is false, I don't give a shit. Like it doesn't matter what happens over there because there's no rule. Yep. So it could be true. It could be false. We don't care. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Writing sample fiasco from Mike. So the email subject is writing LSAT writing sample email. I thought you might appreciate this mess. I had to explain to a school I applied to on September 1st. And I wonder if anyone else had this issue. 
I'm not impressed with LSAC right now. When I finished the writing sample, I hunted for an indication that my writing sample was indeed completed, but I couldn't find anything in my LSAC profile. I was uneasy about it, apparently justifiably. This is, by the way, the new, uh, modern, you know, take at home LSAT writing sample. That's right. They call it LSAT writing. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> the name for it. So yep. LSAT writing, which takes place on your home computer, is basically the old writing sample. LSAC emailed me today to tell me that I have not yet submitted my writing sample. I submitted <laughs> it in June on the topic of a country singer touring solo or opening for down home. Okay. I was in the first wave of using the global proctoring system via PSI secure browser, and I suspect there was some sort of software error. I tried to contact them today, but after being on hold for 30 minutes, it connected, said there was a system error, and hung up. Okay. <laughs> I sent two emails with no response. I tried to rewrite the writing sample this evening, but now the software will not run on my computer, citing a conflict with OS X. I would rewrite the sample tomorrow morning, but LSAC's website says the writing sample software will be down tomorrow. Mike also asks, do you and Ben have advice for mature students? That might make a great podcast episode. I would need clarification on mature. Yeah, I mean, I think he's like mid-career. I, I, I read all his emails, and I think he said he was late 30s or early 40s or something like that. Um we could think about that for a future episode. Let's talk about the writing sample stuff. I'm not surprised. Um, they made a decision that instead of sensibly using all of these Sylvan Learning Centers and other test facilities that are all over the country and using all of their secure software, they made a choice to have their own fleet of tablet computers that they're going to administer the LSAT on and also, they made the decision that the writing sample portion was going to be taken at home <laughs> on your computer yeah. after downloading some weird, unnecessary <laughs> anti-cheating, like so they can monitor you, make sure that your eyes are always on the screen. It's just so dumb. But anyway, that's what they did. And yeah. so now we're hearing multiple reports of people finishing, but their results not being recorded properly. Hmm. So what's Mike's <laughs> question? There's just an update. I think he's just bitching, which I totally understand. He he did then send like several follow-up emails that like it basically got worse. But he's, you know, he was trying to follow our advice and apply at the very beginning of the cycle. Hmm. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, I've already heard from people who have full ride offers for 2020. Mm. <laughs> okay. So if you think that like, oh, schools never evaluate the applications this early in the cycle. Bullshit. They do. <laughs> like I've gotten emails from people who are like, okay, great. It was a safety school, but they already gave me a full ride for next year. You know, looking forward to more acceptances to come. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, good job. Like you're winning. You, you already know that you're not paying for law school. Yeah. Because you followed our advice and you applied at the very beginning of the cycle. Nice. Um, <laughs> but don't forget about our advice to apply with your best score, right? <laughs> so. Well, right. No, I mean, and well, I think that they clearly, these people probably did. Like, yeah. that's why they got a full ride. So what I'm telling, you know, if you're hearing this now um, in the middle of September, it's not too late to apply for 2020. Don't get me wrong. Um, if, even if you're going to take the September LSAT and apply before Halloween, that's still fine. 
Um, but if you're looking at like, I, I'm getting a lot of calls these days. I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm getting a lot of calls for people saying like, well, I'm signed up for the November LSAT and I really want to go this year. It's going to be my first attempt. And I, <laughs> I'm like, well, good. I hope that works out for you. Mm-hmm. And if you hit a home run on the November LSAT, then sure. Like I would, you know, I'm not saying don't apply in December mm-hmm. for next year. Like that's, that's fine. But you know, your backup's going to be in January. Yeah. And if you're taking it in January, then I really think you should wait another cycle. Sure. Unless you want to light money on fire. <laughs> um, so the point is Mike here, you know, he took our advice to apply early and real early. And, but now because of this, <laughs> he took the writing sample in June, <laughs> but it didn't get recorded. And so now he's trying to do it again, but now the software won't work. So he's got all his ducks in a row the LSAT transcripts, letters of recommendation, personal statement, resume, all that shit's all in and ready to go. And he, he, he went further. There's, there's other emails on the, on the thread. I'll just kind of summarize, but he applied to some schools, but now he's applying with an incomplete application because the writing sample's not in. Wow. And so he, he was like, he was also in correspondence with the schools to try to explain to them why he, he applied with an incomplete application. Oh, yeah, it's awkward. It is they awkward. Just think I mean, he's like doesn't have his shit together. They're like, uh, you didn't do your writing right. sample. <laughs> yeah, and so that's <laughs> you know I was hoping whole application. <laughs> well, he he responded. I know, but he resp- and that's what I'm sure what he was thinking. Yeah, he he responded very professionally, which was he emailed them right away and said. Hey, I'm really sorry about this. I did my writing sample back in June, but it seems like the new LSAT software, or whatever, glitched out and didn't record my result. I've been trying to retake it, but now their system is down. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to update you that I will have this writing sample completed as soon as possible. Yeah. You know, and that looks pretty professional. And who knows? Maybe that might end up making him look good in their eyes because he's he's following up, right? And he's clearly interested and all that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Good luck, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and good luck, LSAC, on your uh, software development. We, too, know that <laughs> software is not easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully they get it sorted out because, boy, that's <laughs> this is the time where everybody's trying to get, you know, everybody's scrambling to get their shit in. And that sucks if now you, <laughs> like, your application is going to be held up by literally the least important element of your application. Yeah. And you can't do anything to remedy it without the help of others. Yeah. You're just stuck waiting for them to make their shit work. That's frustrating. Next one. Yeah. Okay. The subject here says you, you, sorry, UW Madison slash Marquette perks. That's the subject of the email. We're talking about university of Wisconsin. Madison and Marquette. Oh, sorry. UW Madison and then Marquette, which is, I guess, a private school, right? Hey guys, I know passing the bar is a major consideration for whether or not one thinks he slash she should go to law school. Wait, what? (laughs) That's not a great sentence. But yes, bar passage is important. Okay. Uh, wait, I well, don't, I don't agree with that. What is what do you what does he mean? Like we've talked about bar passage rates on the show to talk about how some schools are I don't know. I don't even like if you're the kind of candidate that is 
in the middle of the pack here, you should look to your fellow candidates to figure out your chances of passing the bar. But if you're above the pack, then those bar numbers aren't going to apply to you. If you're below the pack, then maybe you're going to do worse. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, well, that's, that's not that's not Bennett's question anyway. So let's just let's go ahead and get to oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, bar so bar passage rate does no bar passage rate. Sorry, your chances of passing the bar matter a lot. <laughs> and in certain states like California, the bar is extremely difficult. If you know you want to live in California for your entire life, you need to be realistic about your chances of passing the California bar. If you want mm. to practice law in California, okay. other states have an easier bar and I'm pretty sure Wisconsin's one of them because listen to this. Well, I'm from the state of Wisconsin and graduates from UW Madison or Marquette offers unique perks. Another bad sentence. Bennett, your first two sentences of this email are broken. Um, anyway, yes, unique. Graduating from either of those law schools allows you to bypass the bar exam completely to be a practicing lawyer in Wisconsin. If you happen to check out Madison's 509 report, you will see that they are very generous with stipends as well. I guess the trade-off is the shit weather, but you get used to it. Best, Bennett, and then in a whisper voice, I love you. <laughs> Bennett's a big fan. Thanks, Bennett. Um, that's interesting. I've never thought about that before. Go to UW Madison or go to Marquette and you automatically, if you graduate from those schools, you automatically pass the Wisconsin bar. What do you think? Yeah, that's a bonus. Um, takes out one more piece of risk that could uh, derail your investment. Um, looks like 81% of those who attend get a grant. Uh, half to full is 41%. More than full is 11%. That's it. Marquette or Wisconsin? Oh, sorry. That's, uh, that's, that's Madison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's their LSAT range? Just 25th, 75th? Oh, that's a good a quick... question. Yeah, let's see here. It's uh, 25th is 158. 75th is 164. This is not, not yeah. a horrible school. No. And so, right. So that makes sense that they have high enough, um, high enough admission standards that we're not, honestly, we're not that worried about those people failing the bar anyway. Yeah. I'm looking at Marquette now. That's a little dicier. 150 to 156. Mm. Um, somebody, if 150 is the best LSAT score you can get, I'm betting no on you on the California bar. Well, I'd make money on that all day. If there were a hundred people who maxed out at 150 on the LSAT, they go to law school and sit for the California bar. Mm. If I got to bet on the whole portfolio of a hundred of them <laughs> and I bet fail on all of them, mm. I would make money. That's an for interesting sure. question. <laughs> I would, I would make money. Yeah. Well, um, so then <clears throat> would they be able to retake or just take it once? Oh, I'm just saying on the, uh, I'm saying on one take, but oh, yeah. I mean, I might even go so far as ever. Hmm. Cause like really if 150 is your best LSAT score, who oh boy, uh, the bar passage in California is difficult. Sure. I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm much less worried if you can get to 160. Yeah. But if 150 is really, truly your max, I'm worried about your vocabulary, your writing ability, reading ability. I just, I'm not, <laughs> Hey, the bar passage for all of California is only like 60%. Mm -hmm. And that counts all the people who got 160 and 170 and 180 on the LSAT. 
Right. So <laughs> the one and not many of the 140s even go to law school. Yep. So like who fails the bar? Um, yeah, exactly. People who scored 150 on the LSAT. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, you know, Marquette, it's not as good of a school, but it's good enough for Wisconsin. I like Wisconsin. Yeah. I think the numbers are good enough and wow. It sounds like they're giving out a lot of money. Well, Marquette probably is too. Let me look at that really quick since I've got it up. Um, 73% of the school receiving grants. 21 of those are half to full. Only one of those is full. No more than full. Um, so that's weird. Marquette. Let me see what they charge. Yeah, they do charge a lot too. 23 says $46,000 a year. Um, not nearly as good of a school. It's in Wisconsin or sorry, it's in Milwaukee instead of in Madison. Um, wow, that's interesting. So they're charging you said 40 or 46? 46 a year. Oh. And they're not giving very many They I mean they're giving a fifth of the class is getting a half to full tuition scholarship. A fifth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is 21%. 41% here at Madison. Madison's a hand down winner. Hands down winner. So Madison's a better school and gives better scholarships. And cheaper. It's 20 it's a 42,000 a year for non-residents and 22 no 20 23,000 a year for residents. Yeah. And harder to get into. I mean, the the reason why they are able to offer those scholarships, you know, that or the reason why they're a better school is because they offer those scholarships. They're able to purchase higher performing students, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, both of those schools, um, are going to allow you to practice law in Wisconsin without ever taking the bar. My guess is that the Wisconsin bar is probably just not that hard anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Probably. I'm going to look it up. Passage rate. Oh, Sorry, this is about repeat exam. <laughs> the repeat pass rate is 31%. Yeah. That's not good. Although it's not surprising, it's going to drop for the people who have to retake it. Yep. Second attempt, third attempt, fourth attempt, it just keeps declining because the only people who take it four times are the people who failed it three times. Wisconsin, first time bar passage rate, almost 70%. Uh, still not a cakewalk. <laughs> but you know, better than California's um, 44%. Yeah. So uh, we do talk about bar passage rate a lot. I am heavily influenced by California's very low bar passage rate. You know, I mean, I just work with hundreds of students in California, so I'm worried about people failing in California. Yeah. I'm less worried that you're going to fail in Wisconsin. Um, but anyway, in response to Bennett's question, uh, go to Madison, take a scholarship. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. If you do want to live in Wisconsin. Yeah. (laughs) If you don't want to live in Wisconsin, you know, if you want to move to California, you need to start looking at the California bar passage rate (laughs) and your Wisconsin bar is going to do nothing for you. Um, LSAC access waiver rights. Oh yeah. Real quick. This was real quick. Mm Mm-hmm. Gathering up my LORs through the LSAC system, and I'm brought to the Access Waiver Rights page. LORs are letters of recommendation, by the way. Yes, thank you, Ben. Mm -hmm. The Access Waiver Rights page that urges me to deny access to view my recommendation letters once submitted, stating that it will show me more favorably to law schools, seems like bullshit. What is your advice? Uh, It's actually that I got from Sterling. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. I don't think this is bullshit. Um, If you 
demand the right to see your letters, your um, sending the message to your letter writer that uh, you're going to see what they wrote. And so they're less likely to be candid. Um, look. Yeah. And the schools know that you didn't waive your rights. And so what I said to Sterling was, well, you know, it just, the thing is, it's going to make it look like you have some like blackmail photos or something like that <laughs> on your recommenders. And then the, your recommenders have no choice but to write nice things about you because you, you know, you didn't waive your rights to those letters. Yeah. Or they're just like, they're concerned about how you will view them. They want to, everybody wants to come off as nice. <laughs> and so they're going to write their letter and they're going to be like, oh, you're going to see what I have to say. A lot of, a lot of people who write letters of recommendation for you will send you the letter after they write it. Sure. They're not writing or it for even, the school. They're writing it for you and they want to see like, yeah. look, this is what I did for you. But yeah. when you say, oh, I need the right to see that letter after it's been right. submitted, it just screams like insecurity and yep. a whole bunch of other problems. <laughs> yeah, just don't do it. Just, just check the box that says, yes, I waive. It makes the letter much more powerful because now people are free to really be honest about you. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're worried about that, don't then ask that means... <laughs> Yeah, you're not asking the right person. And if you can't get two people that you've worked with, professors or bosses, if you can't find two people in your life that would that, like where you would feel comfortable <laughs> checking the box, mm -hmm. uh, then what are you like? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is the purpose of these letters of recommendation. It's like a check to make sure you're not insane. Yeah. The other weird thing is, too, what, what would you do? You read it after. Is this, oh, it, it's after it's in the LSAC system, but before it gets submitted to law schools, I guess. And so then you well, could like, turn you it could off. like sue people. I guess, yeah. Who knows? Like it seems like you could basically try to sue for anything, right? If you've got <laughs> deep pockets and you can. I guess that's what this and, is about, right? People have been like upset that they didn't get accepted, and they're like, yep. "Hey, what did my reviewer say?" And then they go look at the letter, and the letter is like just neutral, you know, tepid <laughs> in one spot or something, or it's, it's like. It says that I was one of the best students they ever had. <laughs> I was the best student they ever had. <laughs> you know, get all pissed off. Uh, yes, wave your rights. That's that's all we have to say. Check that box. Yes, yep. wave the rights. All cool. right, you want this next one? Sure. Are online bachelor's degrees bad? Military. Uh, oh, I don't really know a lot about them. Hello, Thinking LSAT team. I am active duty military and pursuing my bachelor's degree 100% online. Would my online degree negatively affect my chances of getting into law school? If you have any advice, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your help, Adrian. Okay, I love the podcast and have been listening since the first episode. Keep up the great work. Wow. Well, I, I think it's going to depend to some degree on the online program. A lot of schools these days have online programs and the school, the underlying school, the school that's backing the online program is legit. And for that reason, I would suspect that the online program would be perceived as legit. Some online programs though are notorious for being for profit or whatever. So I think it really depends on where you're going to school. I think, but yes. And, um, if you show up with a strong LSAT score, yeah, they're going to be fully willing to believe your online bachelors. Assuming you have good grades there too. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, obviously do do well. <laughs> you don't want to do poorly at a poor institution. No. <laughs> You, you just don't want to do poorly, period. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this before. Like, if you've got a 2.2 GPA, just don't go to law school. Almost guaranteed. Just don't. Oh, how many listeners did we just lose? They're like, oh, I don't know. Goodbye. If they have a 2.2, <laughs> like, the odds trouble. are they're not yeah. enough of, like, a rule follower to do well in law school. Like, yeah. really, you, you got a 2.2 undergrad, but you think you're going to do better in law school? Yeah. Where the just competition is much tougher? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, in the, now, okay, yes. Don't fucking send hate mail. Like, we know that 10 years ago you partied all the time and you're a completely different person now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we get all that. But still, they are going to take that 2.2 into account when they evaluate your application. And they're going to base your scholarship offer partially on that. And we keep saying don't pay for law school. And when you have a 2.2, it's real hard not to pay for law school. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're not going to get a awesome, awesome kick-ass LSAT score, and if you're not going to get a full ride, then it's just like, why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. I mean, it, you just got to really think twice. I, I hope I can talk you out of it. If I can't, I'm glad I tried. And, you know, more more power to you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, like, <laughs> anyway, back to Adrian. Adrian, hopefully, yeah, you have good grades, um, at least solid grades. And then when you show up with a 165 or whatever, they're going to be like, of course, they don't give a shit. Why would they give a shit? Mm-hmm. Like when they report you out on the 509, it doesn't have your, the, your, the name of your school. It's just your grades. Yeah. And everything's moving online these days anyway. Like we, I, <laughs> law schools are going to have to adapt to that, that not everybody's going to go live on campus somewhere and spend all this fucking crazy money. People are more and more going to start doing degrees online. Yeah. Just make sure you get really good grades and then get a great LSAT score. And they're going to be like, huh, fly by night online university. Never heard of them, but 4.0 and 165. Oh, the other thing that Adrian has going uh, for uh, him or her is that uh, they're active duty military. Yep. And law schools love military folks. I love military military folks. Like when I have military folks in my classes, that's badass. They're, they're, they're like the best because they have work ethic. Mm-hmm. And like, they just know that in the military, you might've been able to get away with some shit, but there's a lot of shit you were not able to get away with. <laughs> like you had to work. Yeah. And my LSAT students have consistently demonstrated that they have the work ethic to grind it out on the LSAT as long as it takes and get a really great score. And boy, if Adrian, if you do that, I don't think your online degree is going to hold you back at all. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if all else were equal, (laughs) but that's, you know, so rarely the case. If there were two military people with the identical LSAT scores and identical GPAs, then I could see, you know, Harvard preferring a, not online bachelors. Yeah. But that's just not going to be the situation like ever. So I don't think it's going to hurt you at all, Adrian. Cool. Got the next one. Yep. So this going, this is Remy. Hi guys. I'm in the middle of writing my personal statement and I find myself fighting against using conjunctions. I was wondering if you all had any guidance on this. Does it depend based on the overall tone of your personal statement. Thanks. Um, 
I'm I'm always putting conjunctions back in when I'm reviewing these personal statements. People take them out and they it sounds so unnatural in some cases. In some cases it doesn't and some ta- in some cases it adds clarity or flow or whatever, but in most cases the conjunction is better. Um I would just I would just do what sounds natural to you. Don't yep. worry about that. We're, That's so old school. It's a very old school. Read it out loud and see how it sounds. And if the non-conjunction sounds clunky, which it probably will, then definitely use the conjunction. That's just how people speak. And there's nothing wrong with writing like that. In fact, it's definitely preferable. Yeah. And you, you could be, without using the conjunction, you could be adding emphasis where you don't want to. Like if you said, I didn't, uh, I I don't know why you would say this in your personal statement, but if you said like, I didn't finish the project or something like that, that is more natural than I did not finish the project. It's like, or, (laughs) okay, how about this? (laughs) How about maybe something that actually would be in a personal statement, um, a place where you volunteered to do something. Okay. Like if you were going to say, I wasn't asked to do this, but I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. If you put, I was not asked to do this, but I did it anyway. Then it's like, Whoa, (laughs) it's almost (laughs) like you're emphasizing (laughs) you were, (laughs) it's almost like you were asked not to do it. (laughs) You know, and what you're trying to say is, well, I volunteered, which of course would just be a better construction anyway. But the point is, um, yes, you can totally use conjunctions unless you are trying to emphasize. And in that case, maybe the two words gives you a little more pop. Yep. Great. Uh, we're going to leave it there for today. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, okay. Good stuff. Join the thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. People are always commenting on there, although I haven't been back in a while. Um, we're on Instagram at thinking LSAT. We're nearly to 1000 followers. Thanks wow, to good job, all, of, yeah, all of you guys and Annalisa, who is the powerhouse there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Thinking LSAT uh, or Nathan at N Fox or me at Olson Benjamin. Uh, go to strategyprep.com for classes in DC and foxlsat.com for classes in LA and San Francisco. Uh, our joint project is lsatdemon.com. If you have not tried the free trial, check it out. Uh, it's seven days and then you can go from there. If you are signed up for LSAT Demon already, uh, or you do so soon, you can get three hundred a $300 scholarship to our October <laughs> uh, 12th and 13th class in New York City, um, or a $200 scholarship if you have the regular subscription. But in any case, that was, uh, that was episode 210 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Anymore.